0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming out on a brisk spring morning. Um, it's good to worship together. It's, <clears throat> if you've got to get out in the cold and scrape your windshield and uh, go somewhere, it's a good thing to gather with God's people and worship him. I just appreciate so much our music team. Thank you again for leading us in worship. So we're in the book of Colossians again today. If you're in the Pew Bible, this is page 1169. Colossians. Today we're going to start into chapter 2. But I'm going to go back and read from chapter 1, verse 24 going down through 2, verse 5. And Paul is saying in this section that he he wants to convey to them how great a struggle he has had for them, Um, for the believers in Colossae, even though he's never personally seen their face. um, He wants to convey to them his struggle for them I don't think that he's saying, I just want you to know how I have slaved away for your welfare, because he says in, in, in chapter 1, verse 24, I rejoice in my struggle, my sufferings for your sake. So he's, in effect, he's saying, I am glad to struggle and to suffer for your sake, I think joy runs the, the rejoicing runs the gamut of this whole section from verse, chapter one, verse 24, down through verse, chapter two, verse five, because he starts off in 24 by saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sakes, and then down in chapter two, verse five, even though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Jesus Christ. So. I believe his tone is one of joy, even though he wants to delve into, with them, his struggle, his, his wrestling. He wants them to know that. So we're going to read, I'm going to start at verse 24, and then we'll read down through verse five, chapter 2, verse 5, but a word of prayer first. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather together and study your word. Lord God, we are needy people. We all stumble in many ways. Lord, just last night, just, I, I struggled so much just because I got stuck in my driveway and I was angry. I, I am so weak and so frail, Lord. You know my own weaknesses, my own sins. I confess them to you. And I I know that you know each one of us here in this room. Lord, you know. So we're asking for your help. Lord God, Heavenly Father, please help us. Please come and work through this time by your spirit being with us. And Lord, as we look at your word, help me as I try to preach, help all of us as we listen. Holy Spirit, please work with your word and affect change in us. Give us the encouragement where we need it. Give us a rebuke where we need it give us correction where we need it, we pray. We plead. Lord, we ask that you do not leave us to our own devices. We will go astray, left to ourselves. We need you every hour, every moment, and we need you now, Lord. We pray for those from our number who aren't able to be with us in person today, where they are, we pray that you would encourage them and strengthen their faith as well. Lord, we want you to be glorified in our lives and we want our lives to be the kind of lives that glorify you and honor you in every way. So please come and help us in Jesus' name, amen. God's Word, beginning at Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but... Now, revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling, with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The word of the Lord. So Paul is continuing this expression of joy to these believers in his effectual sufferings uh, for them. Last week we looked at the the last few verses of chapter 1. Now we're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 2. Even though I see this as one section, I do think there's a little shift here because Paul is going and expressing that he wants them to know of his struggle for them. Um, This section highlights Paul's joy that the believers not be deluded by plausible arguments, as he says down in verse Four. Um, I, I wanted to just show you, um, uh, for many years I thought, I've always been taught, and I believe it's true because the Bible declares it to be true, that every word of God is inspired. All the words of, God's, of the scriptures are inspired, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man or the woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for, to do every good work. But one of the things I missed for years was the structure of the Bible is also inspired by God. Authors, authors write with certain ideas in mind, and they structure their thoughts in a certain way. And I just wanted to show you, if we could pull that slide up, Thomas, this, this is our text today, but see the indentations? I think this helps us see a structure. Some scholars would call this a chiastic structure off of the, the Greek letter key, like an X. So you're coming down to a focus and then you're going back out. See verse 1? I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That is parallel with verse 5. He's expressing his concern. Uh, For though I'm absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In both of those verses, he's expressing a concern, his concern. And then the next two indentations, verse 2 and verse 4, he's expressing what he hopes their response The result would be from such a concern, verse 2, so that their hearts may be encouraged, that is, not not just those at Colossae, but all those in the the Lycan River Valley in Laodicea, those who have not personally seen him face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then down in verse 4, I'm saying this, Also, so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So here, he's expressing what he hopes would be a fruit of his concerns. He's expressing the concerns in verse 1 and also down in verse 5, and then verse 2 and verse 4. He's expressing what he hopes will be the result of such concerns. And then verse 3 is like the focal point in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You can take that down. I just think sometimes it's good to see in the Bible, not just the words of Scripture, but the way an author structured them. And this chiastic structure, where it comes to a focal point and then goes back out, is very common in the biblical writers. Uh, So the focus, of course, is Christ. He... If you don't get anything else out of the Bible, get Jesus Christ. The Bible works really hard to convince you, to convince the reader, that Jesus Christ is where it's at. He is the very Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden When it says hidden, I think, what it, I think what that means is it's there for us to discover more and more. I don't think it's like God's trying to hold out on us. He wants us to know more and more of all that he has promised to be for us through Jesus Christ. And this is the burden for the Apostle Paul to this church. He's concerned that they not get distracted from Christ. He wants them to be unswervingly committed to Jesus and thrilled with Jesus. Not just, not just doctrinally sound, but thrilled with Christ. Because if Jesus Christ does not thrill you, something else will. We, w- we, are, we were made... We, we were wired to find joy in life, to delight in things. And, and if Christ is not our treasure, as we say, that's our goal as a church, treasuring Christ together. Uh, if he is not our treasure, something else will be our treasure. It might be uh, Lions football. I, I just say that tongue-in-cheek, but it could be anything. It could be hunting, it could be shopping. Something else will find its place to be our treasure. And so Paul is laboring in this book, and I think the whole Bible does, labors to show us that Jesus is the, the supreme treasure. If you have Jesus, you do not need anything else. You don't need uh certain religious experiences or visions. Uh, if, you, if you go over to chapter 2, just drop down with me into chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. No, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. That, You know know what asceticism is? It's like severe treatment of the body, like the monks used to do um, long seasons of fasting or sleeplessness or whatever it might be. It's severe treatment of the body. Worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. He's talking about Jesus as the head, and uh, he's saying, "Don't don't be distracted by these other things, visions, um, an- worship of angels. Um, Jesus is all you need. He is. He's not just all you need. He's more than all you need. And be thrilled with him. Be unswervingly thrilled." with Christ, I believe is the Apostle's agenda here. He does say in verse 1 of our text today, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. It's an interesting word. It's, the, it's, it's the, where we get our word agonize, agonizo. What a great agony I have for you. <clears throat> Perhaps what, the, what the, the Colossians were thinking was, well, Paul's rejoicing in his sufferings for our sake. Uh, but they were, may have been ignorant to just how much he struggled for them. And I mentioned this last week, but over in chapter 4 when he's talking about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Um, Epaphras, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, that, that is, he came from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So there, I think Paul is at least agonizing and struggling for these Colossians in prayer, just like Epaphras was. Lord, please keep them from being distracted by plausible arguments. Please keep them thrilled with Christ. He was struggling for them, and he wanted them to know that. And for all those at Laodicea and all who had not seen him face to face. And then he says what he was specifically struggling for. The the purpose of those prayers, those sleepless nights so that their hearts may be encouraged, this is verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now there's a lot of words piled up on each other there. First of all, when I look at verse 2, I think these are things we could pray for for our church, for for each other. Do you you agonize over anything? My wife and I were talking about this message and um, just right off the get-go, it just struck her and me too. Do we struggle in our prayers? And, and, And I'm not saying that prayer is supposed to be a burden. I'm saying are we earnest are we are we serious and it's a Paul was very serious he was blood earnest he risked his life many times for the sake of the gospel apparently Epaphras was also and the question i just ask us right on the surface of this do we struggle in prayer about anything maybe you're thinking, well, I thought prayer was supposed to. Hey, we say it, we claim it, we believe it. Well, Jesus said, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And if we just look at Jesus' example, if we only look at his example, wow. He spent a lot of time in prayer. And I think of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the scripture says he he agonized in prayer and sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. If we just look at, G- the, the writer of Hebrews says, with loud cries and prayers, um, he, he appealed to God with loud cries and tears. He appealed to God who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his, Godliness. I just think of Jesus alone and just think, wow, he struggled in prayer. I'm not saying that prayer is a struggle or prayer is a burden. I'm saying in his praying, he was earnest to the point of struggling and wrestling. And I just wondered, Drew Woods, have you ever gotten there? How much time do I spend in that zone? You know, just, just the Bible, just reading the Bible, if, if we just are watching and listening and are, we're, we're awake, it's, it's a conviction, it's a challenge to me. I hope it is to you. Well, I'll tell you something. Now, this is what I tend to do. Ugh, oh, I'm a failure. This same Bible says Jesus came for failures like Drew Woods. And this same Bible says if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it'll be done for you. So we got to start somewhere, right? Now, I don't want to put you into my boat because maybe you you know what it is to wrestle all night In prayer on a regular basis before the throne of grace. All I'm saying is if you're in my boat or wherever you are, let's pray. Let's be a praying church. Let's be a church that prays. Verse 2 has enough prayer fuel in it for us for the rest of the year that our hearts would be knit together in love. What is that? Well, I think it means that we would we'd be really tight and we really would love each other from the heart sacrificially consistently and i'm not exactly sure the connection with the 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 little preposition to there to reach But I will at least say this, make this a prayer too. God, help us to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowing your mystery, which is Christ. Paul was struggling for that. I think that's something we should struggle for. We should struggle in prayer and longing and striving together for these things, that our hearts would be knit together in love and that we would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What is that? What does that mean? Well, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like something, there's a fullness of, con, of being convinced and certainty of knowing Christ. Christ. But Christ is infinite, so it sounds like something we grow in. Um, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse three. When I think of wisdom and knowledge, I think right away of the of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about wisdom. In fact, by the way, if you have a young family, I encourage you read the book of Proverbs. I mean, it's not a Read the whole Bible, but boy, the book of Proverbs is a great parenting manual. It's a great life manual, but it's a great parenting manual, too. And it is the Word of God, and it is profitable for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. (laughs) But all the treasures of God's wisdom are are hidden in Christ. All the treasures of His wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So let it be our prayer to know him more, to know him more. And then he goes on to say in verse four, I'm saying this so that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. Boy, there's an awful lot of zeal. There's an awful lot of struggle, and there's an awful lot of concern and an awful lot of pen and ink written by the apostle Paul so that these people not be deluded. And and notice he says, with plausible arguments. You know, there's stuff that you can see on TikTok or Facebook or whatever social media that can just send you off into a tailspin. And it doesn't have to be some great heavy book. It can be a comment by a teenager. that will take you away from Jesus. And Paul is very concerned that the Colossians not be pulled off of Christ by plausible arguments. There's a lot of things that sound plausible. But Jesus Christ is where all God's wisdom and knowledge are found. And then in verse 5 he says, For though I am absent in my body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I think what he means is there by by means of his letter. He's sending this letter with his heart and soul in it. And he's saying, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Um, Good order, I'm not sure all that Paul means there. um, Except I just think he means a a disciplined way of living in a godly way way, a godly order, and their firmness of their faith in Christ, that they not abandon their faith in Christ. I think the modern word for this is deconstruction, like people are deconstructing their faith, which means they're really questioning it. And um, Paul was concerned that they not abandon Christ, and so... Even, he says, even though I'm absent in my body, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm rejoicing to see your, your good patterns, your obedient patterns, and the firmness of your faith in Christ that you are solidly devoted to Jesus. And uh, these are things he was agonizing over in prayer for the Colossians, and he wanted them to know that. Why? Why? Well, I think he wanted them to know that so that they would treasure Christ. So that they would realize this apostle is working for our benefit. There's a lot at stake here. This is weighty and serious. Oh, that we in Colossae would be freshly awed by what we have in Jesus Christ. And that we would be persuaded by Paul's glad struggle that being united to faith, be united, being united by faith to Christ is the greatest of all privileges. So, what does this mean for us today? Well, I believe that this paragraph is here so that we would steal our hearts against. Plausible arguments that would distract us from Jesus and that we would be treasuring Christ. That we would be devoted to Christ. That we would steel our hearts against any notions, whether it be on social media or any books or any comments that we hear from friends or family that we would steel ourselves against any plausible arguments that might in any way diminish the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. I just love singing. I I, I love the songs that were chosen. And I love singing praise to the Lord. Um, I can't even remember all the, the words that we sang, but... Singing together is a way of treasuring together the Christ we're singing about. And brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are doing better than you know. On the authority of God's word, you are doing better than you know. Oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. And starting with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them from the scriptures the things concerning himself. I hear, that's the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. I hear Jesus say that to me so many times. Oh, Drew, (laughs) you're slow to believe. And I want to say, Lord, make me quick to believe. I want to believe I want to be devoted to you. I want to treasure you. I want to to see more and more all that you have promised to be for me through Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 works hard to convince us that Jesus is infinitely superior than the angels. My wife was talking to somebody on the phone a few months back, and the person was talking about Diana always tries to insert comments about the Lord, and the person kept coming back with, well, I believe our guardian angels are really responsible for a lot of these things, and I am praying to my angels, and blah, 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 blah. And uh, my wife said, every time I would br- br- bring up something about the Lord, the response was back about the angels. And I just want to say, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that. You know what Hebrews 1 says that God said to the angels when He brings His Son into the world? All you angels worship Him. Jesus Christ is infinitely greater than the angels. The angels love Him. The chosen angels, the elect angels, they treasure Jesus. And they want us to as well. I'm not saying they're not. Guardian angels. I'm saying we pray to God. We don't pray to angels. Prayer is an act of worship. Don't pray to angels. Pray to Jesus Christ. Pray to God the Father. Pray to the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. The reason I'm saying this is because there's a lot of plausible arguments going around today, and um, I don't want us to be deluded. So in coming away from this, may God help us to spiritually struggle in prayer for each other, for unsaved family and friends and loved ones. For the nations, for the advance of God's kingdom and for the establishment of his church, may we struggle, gladly, joyfully struggle and agonize in our prayers. And may our hearts be, let's pray specifically that our hearts be knit together in love and that we reach a fuller understanding of the preciousness of Christ. And let's worship him. I got up this morning, and I I had a bad attitude last night. I said that in my prayer, but, you know, I can be having a great day, and then I could get get stuck in my driveway, and it's like, there is no God. I mean, I don't say that. I don't really believe that. But I act like it for a few moments. I act like it. Just getting stuck in my driveway can ruin my existence. I mean, that's an extreme state. That's an overstatement, okay? (laughs) What I'm saying is, I get up this morning, I open my Bible and I'm half asleep and you know what I want to do? I want to worship Jesus Christ. Because I can read through the Bible in a year. I can do all these little things, but if I am not worshiping, treasuring Him, adoring, savoring communing with him i'm not if i'm not getting that connection then i keep going i keep praying i keep asking i keep seeking but that's what i'm looking for i don't i don't mean i, I don't mean to say it's all for naught because I don't believe that. I believe every time I read Psalm 68 even though I can't understand it all, there is a reward for the righteous and their king is going to be is the victor. And I don't understand all that, but I'm aiming for worship and what I'm trying to say to you is our, our, our church mission statement, treasuring Christ together, what that means is worshiping Him, adoring Him, savoring Him, and doing it together. That is the greatest accomplishment. If you don't get your car unstuck, and you don't make it to the grocery store, if you really, truly, in spirit and truth, worship the risen Christ You have accomplished something. And if you you never worship him, if you never taste that worship, something's wrong. Because no matter what else you accomplish, worship is treasuring him is the key. It is the key. So... Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Bible. Open us up, Lord. Shine your spotlight into our hearts right now. See if there's a wicked way in us. Father God, rid us from our idols. Rid us from our pet sins. And even as I say that, Lord, I know that you will call us to gouge out eyes and cut off hands, so to speak. It's, it's not something that you're, you typically just do ordinarily. You... In, You involve our will and our effort and our exertion to tear idols from your throne. So, Lord, as I ask this, I ask that you would rid us from our pet sins and those habitual besetting sins and those idols in our heart. And, Lord Jesus, that you would sit on the throne of our heart, supreme Oh, Lord God, please, please master us, rule us so that we can see the treasure that you are. Lord, would you, would you help us to labor in our prayers for each other? And Lord, help us to pray until you have knit our hearts together in love And until we reach a full, a fullness of understanding of all that you've hidden in Christ. Because Lord, to treasure all that you've promised to be for us in Jesus, to treasure you is the point of it all. That's the point of heaven. That's the point of eternal life. That we can be with you face to face with no impediments and all sin erased and and obliterated. And we can have a, a, a freedom and a capacity to enjoy you without any limits. Lord, that is the point, to delight in you, to enjoy you, to treasure you. So please, Lord, please help us now to enter into that. And I pray that a thousand wonderful fruits would grow in our lives and in our church family here. Break chains, Lord. Work miracles among us. Pour out your spirit and work miracles among us, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen.